we evolve at the rate of the tribe we're plugged into. Wow. Yeah. And so I think plugging into a tribe that can help you understand what you've learned from the past and maybe help you see even bigger what's possible for you in the future is so much more important than the tribe who still thinks of you as like your 18 year old self and keeps trying to kind of pull you back to that person or who doesn't believe that you can, you know, rock the world. Welcome back to the Max Out Show. Today's guest is Ann Betts, the co-founder of Be Above Leadership and an expert in the neuroscience of consciousness, coaching, and transformation. And that's exactly what we'll talk about today. How to become more integrated human beings, build better brains, and take our consciousness to the next level. So Ann, welcome to the show. That sounds great. Let's figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally, totally ready for this. We were talking before, right? Right now for, for all of the listeners, this is really the time where you can work on these things, right? This is really the time where most of life breaks away. And I was making a joke before, right? You either watch Netflix or you're working yourself or, or maybe some combination of both. But this is really right. opportunity to do exactly that. So maybe to get us started, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, this idea that, you know, becoming better at life, however you want to define that. Is, is first and foremost a shift from, you know, being a human doing to being a human being. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that. You know, one of my students asked me the other day, so we have a model that we call the seven levels of effectiveness. And this has been a model of consciousness that we've been working with at Be Above Leadership, my organization for like over 15 years. And so someone, I think, brilliantly asked me the other day, well, what do you actually mean by effectiveness? So I was like, that's a, that's a good question. And for me, it kind of comes down to less effort, more results. Now there's a sort of an interesting paradox there because as, so as we raise in consciousness, I think certain things naturally happen and have to happen. Like we become less solely self-focused. So it's not a function of consciousness to be just looking at yourself and how do I get my results for me? Um, and we'll come back to this because you become more integrated. So, you know, this kind of this less effort, more results. I think also you stop caring about quite as much about just getting your piece of the pie for you. Does that make sense, Max? Yes, for sure. For sure. So, so what, what is happening then when we become more integrated, when we take in more perspectives, like what is happening there really? Yeah, I mean, that's been for me, I mean, maybe just to step back a little bit, you know, I started out like maybe a lot of people just fascinated by spiritual teachings. I think ever since I was a little kid and, you know, probably a really little kid and I was like, why wow. are some people so mean? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, seriously, like, why yes. are these? Sorry, I've got a little bit of activity going on at the background. No, well, people are going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I couldn't, like, I really wanted to understand what made some people good and what made some people sort of closed in and mean. And so I went at it from the spiritual place and studied a lot of Buddhist philosophy, studied a lot of new age philosophy, did a lot of personal growth. And then about 10 years ago, discovered neuroscience. And that was like a really interesting 
major piece of the puzzle where I was able to say, look, this isn't just some nice idea that's sort of separate from, you know, being productive or, or even profitable, but it is all part of the same thing. Yes. Um, and I can see if I can say that there's a lot more to say about that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so interesting, right? Because, I mean, the, the first thing I want to point out here is, right, like, it's, it's a science. At, at this point, it's becoming a science, right? All the consciousness and everything. You can, you can measure those things. You can track those things. You can improve those things. And so it's not just this, this woo-woo thing, right, that, like, some people far off east, like, in, in some kind of, you know, in the woods is talking about. But researchers <laughs> are actually, <laughs> you know, measuring this right. now. Yeah, I love that. And it's not this thing to me. Um, I'm, you know, I believe in meditation. I believe in mindfulness, yes. but it's not the only way. It is absolutely not the only way. And I think one of the things that, you know, you were saying earlier, like this time can give us the opportunity to look at ourselves. And, you know, if you can slow down and you can say, I am feeling and noticing fear right now, it's right in my face. What do I do with that? How do I work with that? How do I integrate that? How do I learn from that? So the first, one of the early things that we noticed as we went in and I went to neuroscience school because I figured I gotta, there's something going on here and our systems process differently at different levels of consciousness or in our words, different levels of effectiveness. And the first was just even realizing that when people are in a heightened arousal state that we call fight, flight, or freeze, they don't think as clearly. Yeah. And that was the first, right? You're like, you just, They're like the cat back there. Like, <laughs> Right. Is there a bird? What is there? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so that was the first one that I went, well, that just seems really obvious. So I need to learn more about what's going on here. And what we started seeing was that the research was pointing to that people that are more effective are more integrated in multiple ways. So there isn't just one aspect, but I can, I can talk about a few of them. Yes, please. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's, I, we, we have not even yet discovered all of the ways that we need to be integrated. One of them is we need to be integrated between our right and left hemisphere. And we know that we use both sides of our brain in almost everything we do, pretty much everything we do, but it's, are they working really well in partnership? And so the biggest sort of bottom line of right and left, for example, is that one sees the whole and one sees the parts. And I was just talking to um, one of my students today about in coaching, a lot of times I know I've sort of gone into more of this open place where I'm holding the whole. And then I also, when I'm doing it well, am leaning into this part of me that's going, okay, but hold on a minute. You just went way, way out in space. Bring this back to what's relevant to this person. <laughs> right? Kind of like narrow it down again. Um, and that's more of a function of the left hemisphere, which gives us that ability to kind of narrow down, look at the next thing, put things into order like that. And so when we've got a person like a, and there's lots of other things too, empathy, concern for others, uh, being able to look at something through other, somebody else's point of view, but also be able to narrow down and maybe put some rules and structures in, you end up with a really good leader. Um, 
So does that make sense to you? And have you yes, seen that in leaders? For sure. It totally makes sense, right? Because it is the this, this sort of playfulness that you have to have, right? To, to go in the, the big picture vision, right? If you're like, you're talking big, big picture, right? This is what we want to achieve, the goals, the dreams, right? And then, right. then you have to scale it down, right? You have to make it logical. You have to make it practical. You have to be like, okay, this is the first step and the second one, right? And so yeah. there is playing with these, these two sides of the brain, right? And the, those mechanisms behind them. And yeah. I think understanding that and understanding how the brain works like that is, is it makes it easier, right? To then actually sort of recall it in that moment, be like, okay, now I'm using just the big picture vision. Now I've got to break it down, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. And I was thinking about, um, you know, to leave politics out of it for a moment, <laughs> I don't care what party they're part of, but I've been watching who are the leaders in the United States right now. And we're kind of doing, you know, this, we're taping this during the COVID crisis and we're doing things on a state-by-state -state basis. You can really see not our national leader, but our state leaders are, a lot of them are doing an amazing job. And I was watching our governor, a woman, and she was so doing both sides of the brain. At first she was talking about how hard this is on people and that she can understand this. And you know, it's literally saying things like, I know whole families wanna to go to the grocery store, but that isn't the best idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Might not but be the smartest thing. <laughs> not the smartest thing, you know. It's sort of so she's saying like this is a difficult time, and here are all of the ways that I am hearing from people that it's difficult. And she didn't. You can just feel her heart is there, and she's looking at the big picture. And then she says, "Now here are the rules. Here are the rules that we need to put in place. Here's what we need to do. Here's how long I think we need to do it for. Here's and then she goes back to here's why." Here's yeah, the difference yeah. we think that'll make. This is how we think we will protect all of, I live in New Mexico, all of New Mexico if we do this. And I'm watching and I'm like, man, she's just going back and forth. She's speaking from the right hemisphere. She's speaking from the left. And it's absolutely wonderful. And even people who aren't of her political party are impressed by her. So yeah. that's yeah, I, kind of part of what it looks like in action. Yeah, you know, I, I totally love it, right? Because like what we've all probably seen as, as young children, right? It's like just someone telling you like, hey, this is what you should do. Or what you <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't gonna work. You have to, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> you're forced to eat the vegetables, right? Like it doesn't work, right? It's like we have to be able to, you know, whether we're leaders, whether we're family, friends, like it doesn't matter. We have to be able to connect on a, like an emotional level first, right? In order to then be able yeah. to say, hey, this is what you should do, right? Because it, it kind of saves lives in this case. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's what's really interesting is there's re been research done on the most effective leaders. And what they found is that leaders who are either too, almost like too collaborative. I used to work in the NGO field and, you know, I got, I used to, I came to dread this phrase, which is, well, we need to involve all of the stakeholders. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> you want to rip off someone's brain. Like, <laughs> like that's nothing is that's code for yeah. nothing is happening nothing's yep. <laughs> going to be um and so there's a way that you can be sort of too open and never narrow down and never like actually you know make things into a process and then in in a lot of the corporate world you know and i've had this happen too where it's just like this is what you need to do come in and do it don't ask questions don't ask why and that kind of it's too it's it's sort of too restrictive so when I think about integration, it's this beautiful place where the river's flowing. It's not too open that it feels like you're in a swamp, but it's not so closed. It doesn't feel like there's any water running. You're just flowing along. And if you go too far to one side, the other side kind of 
pulls you back. That's a really powerful leader. That's a powerful parent. That's a powerful teacher. Anybody who can, who can dance between the two is going to create a better impact around them. Wow, such a great metaphor. And like you say, that dance between the two is so powerful, right? Between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. Another one of those dances is the, the default mode network and the, yes. the task positive network. Yeah. So can you, can you share with us a little bit about that, about going yeah. you know, present, future, past, and back and forth between those? I will. I love that. I love that you bring that up because that's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite things. So we have two different, and this is so I was talking about locations in the brain, right and left. We also have these two different networks in the brain and they go all, each of them goes all over the brain. But one of them is really what, what you will see lit up when you're right here, right now in present time focused on rights in front, what's right in front of you, what you have to do, like maybe making your to-do list, certain forms of meditation. I'm working on a PowerPoint for a webinar that I'm doing and I'm like, you know, I love doing that. I'm like right in the task. What's the next slide? That's right now. Um, and then there's another one, which is the default mode network. And that is when you are, you're literally, not literally, I had to say that, but you're, what's happening in your brain is you're doing what I call mental time travel. Yes. So you're reflecting on the past, you're pondering the future, and either one of these can also go to that over calibration place where you're spending all of your time, you're not present at all, um, and what will start happening is you'll start worrying about the future and regretting the past, yeah. <laughs> right, when you have too much time there. Yes. The other thing is that those days where it's, and I'm thinking a lot of people have felt this um, lately, is where you're just, if there's so much focus, even if you're on Zoom all day, you're focused, you're looking at things, you're right now, what's happening, that becomes exhausting. And it also um, is not the most creative um, place that we go. So... Just curious if that, yeah, is that making sense? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's, that's making so much sense. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. And I, I love this, this idea of time travel, right? Because that's what most people do. And I think especially in, in ways, if it's not managed, there's just completely unhelpful, right? We go back to yes. those past hurts and pains and traumas and defeats and all of that stuff, right? So how can people learn, like people learn to, to manage this time travel and time travel in a, in a positive way with like a button in their, in their brain that says, okay, now I'm going to deliberately go back to this. I'm going to deliberately focus on the future and think about my goals rather than just swirling around in the endless chaos. I love that you're saying, I think there's an intention and a deliberateness and that's part of being integrated. First, the, the first part of any kind of integration is understanding, oh, that's what's going on. I just went, my mind is wandering, I'm not present. Now, certain people in the whole mindfulness world, there's almost like a little bit of a bias. You should just be here right now all the time. But one of the big, wonderful aspects of letting your mind wander is it will sometimes find gold for you. So sometimes there's an answer that you can't get by just being present. But if you let your mind wander a little bit, I call it putting the wizards to work. Uh, it's like these wizards that can come up with these ideas if I let them alone. And so I might say I need a new process to help teach people about, you know, the task and default network. And, but I can't think of it in my conscious processing, I need to let my mind wander. And that's where you get moments of inspiration. So this idea that it's always better to be present moment, well, not always. It's, 
And it can be really helpful to, um, for things like if you want to, um, think about what am I bringing into me? What am I intentional? What kind of future am I intending? Which some people call it manifestation. Well, you need to be able to imagine the future. Yes. So that's a, but, but I think as you say, it's like, what's the button that keeps me from like dreading the future, but has me actually creating it. I think it is the intention of saying, okay, right now, Sometimes you need some structure around that, like journaling questions. Where do I want to be in a year? What values do I want to honor more? What kind of person do I want to become? All of those to journal on that, that's activating the default mode network, but in a positive way. And let me just say one other thing. The same is true about the past. Um, the past has wonderful wisdom and lessons for us. And so if, if you never think about your past, and I'm just going to be here right now, right now, right now, you can't mine for the gold that might be there. Like, when have I been in a similar situation and I got through it? What did I learn? What can I kind of rely on? How do I integrate the past me with the present and the future me? So I'm not, I don't believe in always being mindfulness. I believe in sometimes being, letting my mind wander. Yes, for sure. There's, there's so much gold here. And I love what you're saying here about letting the mind wander, right? Because some of the best times, like usually the, the first hour of every day for me is like, I call it my victory hour. And so I go outside, usually in nature, either running or walking. And I, I spend my time in nature. I spend my time visualizing my future, right? Who I want to be, the values, the emotions, what I want to create that day. And it's like, it is not a necessarily focused intention on the present moment, but it's more of a wondering but in the future in a positive sense and it's some of the best times best hours best moments in my life that i have during that time and i get so many insights new ideas new inspirations new sparks right it is probably the best habit i've ever developed in my life and at i same think time, that's brilliant yes it, it is so powerful i can really recommend it for anybody right um especially in combination with exercise and then, then maybe afterwards meditation or whatever but then on the other hand what you're mentioning is like this intentional going backwards in the past and and intentionally reliving and learning and looking at what did I overcome, right? What did I grow from, right? How were the obstacles that I faced five years from a goal, right? How they simulate to what I'm facing today? Because oftentimes yeah. what I found is you realize like this is nothing new, right? I'm I'm struggling with the same things today that I've struggled like ten years ago, right? <laughs> and I survived back then and I will survive today. Yeah. You know, you're making me think of I love that habit, by the way. And one of the things that um, we are very good at bringing to ourselves. I'm sort of struggle like how to speak about this. There's some research on the science of synchronicity and how do you create those kind of wonderful magical coincidences that can, you know, like take your life in a whole new amazing direction. How do you be this person who sets an intention. What's the power of that? Well, one of the things about it is it tells you what to look for. Yes. It tells your brain, I want you, you know, it's, I always think about if you get a new red car, like a new, you know, red Toyota, whatever, all of a sudden you're like, wow, there's a lot of red Toyotas out there. Well, your brain is the same way if you say, I am looking for opportunities to speak more. Well, you're, you, what you've done, like, and I see myself as a speaker and I can imagine this, what you're telling your brain is this is relevant. Look for that, pay attention to that, grab onto any little flake of that. 
Um, and so that actually gets you more cued that way. And because we tend to decide emotionally, all the people that think yes. that like emotions <laughs> from the brain, forget it. Like you're, we're emotional beings and then our brain comes along and rationalizes it. Yes. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. So when we tell ourselves, this is how I want to feel, which is what I heard you saying, like, I want to feel, you know, powerful. I want to feel like playful, all of these things. We're also saying to the brain, hey, look for opportunities where I can feel. And that has even more resonance and relevance. And so I think if you want to like um, uh, manifest or create, what you are talking about is one of the best things you can do. You imagine how you want to feel. And there's some real practical reasons why that is more likely to bring it in. Yes, you know, and you, you mentioned research. I'm, I'm getting so excited just, you know, about the, the upcoming research, I guess, right? Because this is a huge field that I think is still unexplored. But the fact is, it does work, right? And I think a huge part of that is you're literally wiring your brain to look like your future, right? You're literally wiring yes. your brain as if you are that person. And at the same time, what I found is like when I'm in this emotional state, right, of like energy, excitement, right, when I'm feeling like, like, like right now, basically, it's so much easier to take action, right? It's so much easier to do the things that, you know, are hard and difficult and sometimes even painful yeah. because you're feeling great, because you're pursuing that vision and you're not stuck in a state of your dread and anxiety and fear. Or because it's going to make somebody else happy because yeah. it's the good, it's the, you know, that, or it's this disconnect from, I see this a lot, my, my business partner, anytime I'll, you know, I'll say like, we'll even say like, well, where should we go to dinner tonight? Or what should, and she'll always say to me, well, I don't know. What's the experience you want? Wow. Oh, it's the experience that I want. Not what's the form, you know, of the fancy restaurant. It's yeah. like, how do I want to feel? Do I want to feel casual? Do I want to feel, you know, like we're, I'm really, this is special, you know, what is the experience I want? And just as an aside, this is something I think can be really helpful during this time because a lot of the form of our lives has changed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least temporarily. Right. Yes. You know, like we can't do, you know, can't go have a big party on the beach with a hundred people, like hopefully not. No. <laughs> so you want to say, okay, well, how would that make me feel? How is the, how do I want to feel? And, you know, I think about, I want to feel connected. I want to feel creative. I want to feel playful. Okay. What are the other things that you can do that will have you feel that way because that makes, I think that helps us get through this and not feel deprived or even traumatized? Yes, this is such an important point, right? Because by deciding first how we want to feel, we can then select situations that will make us feel great, right? So you know right. that, hey, if I want to feel great tonight, then maybe, you know, just eating a bunch of junk food, watching TV isn't like the best way to go about it, right? Maybe it's like right. connecting with a loved one. Maybe it's doing right. sports, whatever it is. But, and at whatever the same time, hmm, yes, exactly. And at the same time, it, what I found is it helps you, like just setting an intention helps you actually bring that to the moment. So then whatever you're actually doing on the outside, you're able to bring more joy or bring more love or bring more energy to a present moment because you said, this is how I want to show up. This is how right. I want to treat that person. Right, right. That's great. Absolutely. And I think why, well, you know, we may feel like we don't have always control over what's happening around us. What we do have control of is what's our perspective on that. Yeah. And the other thing about this is I think a lot of people 
have a form in mind because they think it's going to make them happy. Like the form is, you know, I'm going to be an investment banker. This happened to my niece's, um, my niece's partner, her boyfriend, a longtime boyfriend. He went into investment banking because he thought that's going to make him feel powerful and that's going to make him feel great and all of this. And, and I just heard he's going back to school because he wants to go to med school because like <laughs> everything that he had associated with this, it was, a, it was not that creative. It was not that fun. It didn't make him feel like he was really using his full talents. But, you know, he went into it because he thought it would. Yes. So good for him. I mean, what's really cool about that is he is identifying, I am not feeling the way I thought I would feel. I'm not feeling how I want to feel. I'm going to make a major change. I mean, that is amazing and like really, I think, praiseworthy. <laughs> yes, for sure. Kudos to him. That is amazing yeah. because this is, this is usually the thing that people get stuck on, right? They like start a thing and then they, they don't want to look bad in front of other people, right? They don't want to look bad in front of their fans, families, their friends, right? They like, and so they stick to something, right? And they keep doing it because it's supposed to look good rather right. than something that actually makes them feel good. Right. Or they feel like everybody else who, like nobody's telling the truth, right? Yeah. And so they're feeling like, well, everybody else seems happy because nobody's yeah. actually really <laughs> talking about like how much- no one's crying on social media, right? So like, <laughs> I must be the only one. <laughs> right. Like, I, I'm not sure. There must be something wrong with me because I should be happier than I am because I have this. <laughs> job or this dream whatever boyfriend or yeah. you know who knows so I think that the checking in at the real deep center of how do I want to feel and do I feel that way is so much more critical than whatever you know and you know someone else might have felt differently in that job this is just him it didn't didn't fit with who he was so yeah. I think there's that. So I think about where you had asked me about being integrated between task and default. I think what that to me looks like is this dance between dreaming, um, remembering, keeping that as much as we can in a, in a helpful way, even if it's remembering past things that were difficult, but it's like, how can that help me now? That will keep you from going to like the shame place which can be the risk there that we don't, cause that'll just kill your energy so much. But saying, I think about one time I had a client who was facing a difficult, very difficult boss, very toxic boss, really manipulator, not a good guy. And she was starting to doubt whether she had kind of the internal strength to sort of get through this situation. And I asked her, when else? When else have you done anything like this? And it came back to a personal time in her life where she had had to really fight hard for something. She was like, you know what? You're right. I am that person. I can do this. And she did. And she did everything she needed to do to document with HR to get rid of that guy. But it took so much strength because he was making her crazy. But she, that was really critical to remember, hey, that's part of me. I forgot how strong I actually am. So I think that's a, that was a really, that, that's one of the reasons it can be really helpful to go to the past. Yeah, um, for sure. I love this, this, like what you said here, we forget oftentimes how strong we are, right? We forget what we're actually capable of when we're sort of pushed against the wall, right? Because we don't tend to remember the good times in the past, right? When we're like, we faced those struggles and we overcame them. It's so easy to forget. But by going back and consciously and deliberately and intentionally remembering all the times that you stood up for yourself, that is so powerful. Yeah. And you know, I think the other thing is 
you know, if I had like any sort of little bit of advice about this is surround yourself with people who do see what you're capable of Yes. and not the people that are so, you know, insecure in themselves that they're not going to celebrate you. And you want to be around the people who are like, you can get through this because man, I've saw you kick butt before. (laughs) There's a wonderful quote. There's a spiritual teacher, Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S. And I love this quote. She says, we evolve at the rate of the tribe we're plugged into. Wow. Yeah. And so I think plugging into a tribe that can help you understand what you've learned from the past and maybe help you see even bigger what's possible for you in the future is so much more important than the tribe who still thinks of you as like your 18 year old self and keeps trying to kind of pull you back to that person or who doesn't believe that you can, you know, rock the world. Wow. I absolutely love that quote and the insight, right? Because what I found is like the greatest leaders, the greatest friends, the greatest people in my life are always the one that are not self-focused, right? They don't just talk about how great they are. They talk about how great other people are, right? They lift everybody else up. And in doing that, you love them even more, right? Yeah. And because it can be so hard, we live in kind of this who like this present moment. This is one of the reasons that I love any kind of self-development because this question of like, who am I? I, I, I just going to share something that sort of was really struck me. It was actually came from, I was, I'm a coach. And so I was coaching a client this morning and she was, she said something to me. She said, you always in a, she thought this was a positive thing, by the way. She (laughs) said, you always seem like you're just on the verge of laughter. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very positive thing. (laughs) I was really nice. I mean, she, she met it nicely. Um, and, and it was like, you know, I don't know if anybody had ever actually said it to me quite in that way. And I sort of stopped for a moment. I started, actually started to laugh when she <laughs> said it. And I thought, um, that is, that is a part of who I am. And without somebody to reflect it back, I don't know that I was, when she mentioned it, I was like, yeah, that's true. But if you had asked me to describe myself, I probably wouldn't have said, yeah, I'm probably always on the verge of laughter because I think that life is kind of this divine comedy and, and, um, and also, you know, love to take people seriously as well. But so anyway, yeah, for sure. so, so, so you weren't necessarily aware of it, but is it something still that you consciously developed in yourself? I think that, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. Did I develop it? I think that as I started working more with my own fear and anxiety and self-doubt and the kind of the the internal tapes that were saying you're not good enough. And as I did various things to kind of look at those more head on, not to go around them, but to face my own sort of demons. Um, And some of that was more just being present to how it felt when I started feeling, you know, like I wasn't as good as other people um, or I was anxious about something that probably because it comes back to that. I thought, you know, I'm anxious about a presentation because I'm afraid people are going to judge me and they're not going to think I'm as good and I can feel it in my body. A lot of that was presence. A lot of that was sort of going forward with it, tuning my attention to the positive feedback I was getting. I mean, there were lots of things, getting coaching on it. The more that I started seeing that um, I didn't have anything to prove, I think the funnier I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm loving this, right? Because like the, the moment that like those insecurities break away, like you're left with like this just 
true joy and beauty, right? Yeah. I, you know, and I think, did I try to develop that? No, it just, once I got rid of all the other shit, that's what was there. Yeah. Right. Once you like spill like the negative stuff out of the glass, right? Like it can fill up with the positive finally. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's for, you know, for me, I think because of my personality, it is humor. It is lightness. It is, um, you know, that's, yeah, that's what's there when I stopped being so worried about what people thought of me that was making me more kind of in that sort of academic, serious way that really is not who I really am. And so when I, you know, like I think about, I teach neuroscience and, you know, the first time that I went out, Max, to teach it, I thought the neuroscience police were going to come and arrest me. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, yeah. Who are Calm you? and quiet. And- <laughs> right? Like the whole imposter syndrome. And the yeah. more that I just did it and realized that I, that somebody could ask me, Hey, what about this thing in the brain? And have you heard this study? And that I could just look at them and say, you know what? I don't know that. That's fascinating. What do you know about it? Or let me go look it up. And that I didn't have to know everything that I knew enough and that I brought enough. I think that was probably the major, uh, if I think about any accomplishment in my life, it's been learning that I'm enough. Yes, I absolutely love that. And it's it's so powerful, this realization, right? That like, even if I'm not perfect, even if I don't have all the right stuff, I'm I'm good enough, right? Like the way I am, yeah. me as a person. And I think about when I, maybe the blessing of being, you know, tapped on the shoulder for neuroscience, which was what it was for me. I didn't set out to do this. I just kept think it just felt like somebody knocking on the door like hey there's something here people want to learn more about this and I was just like shut up go away (laughs) I finally did by the way I think if you're looking for life purpose listen for that listen to that thing that keeps knocking that question that bothers you that won't leave you alone that's what you're supposed to do that thing that drives you crazy like you know and for me that it comes back to what I was saying earlier like why are some people mean yeah. You know, that's the question that has bothered me since I was a little girl. So find that question. But one of the blessings of it is nobody knows everything about neuroscience. Even neuroscientists don't know everything about neuroscience. So there was this kind of like weird, you know, I, I took on one of the most complicated things that you could for a lay person to try to teach and be rigorous and be credible around that's what like what was i thinking but at the same time because it's so complicated you know it also like it's totally okay to say i don't i don't know that part of it because nobody does yeah <laughs> nobody does everything you did like i don't care who you are <laughs> yeah i mean you, usually a beautiful thing is right once you're like like usually if you're sitting in a meeting whatever you you're saying like you raise then i don't know usually like five other people are the same. Like they're like, yeah, I kind of don't know either. Right. So like yeah. accepting that and, and openly publicly declaring that I think is, is one of the most freeing things we can do. And so I want, I want to go back to this, this purpose thing uh, that you mentioned, cause I absolutely love that. Right. This pursuing the thing that like keeps knocking throughout your life. Yeah. What was yours? What's the thing that started knocking on your door that just wouldn't leave you alone? For me, it was exactly this. It was the, the mental game because for, for such a long, long like, time in my life, ever since I can remember, really, I struggled with it. Like, I was, I was depressed. I was, you know, just, like, suicidal points. Like, I was really bad. And so I didn't have the mental strength to, to actually live the life that I wanted. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was figuring out how do I change? How do I change from the inside out, right? And once I, 
I learned, hey, this is how you make changes, right? I sort of selfishly began studying psychology, now doing my master's in positive psychology. So, so it was all about just in the beginning, how can I become better? And then when I learned how to be happy, how to motivate myself, I was like, this stuff is so freaking cool. Like I got to share it. And so that's the, that's the mission I'm on now. And it's a thing that wakes me up at like 4 a.m. in the morning and makes me run outside and, you know, <laughs> shoot videos or create content or read about stuff, learn about stuff, because it is that thing that keeps me up all day and all night. Super. And so, so that's why I'm, I'm connecting with this so much. And I think listening to that voice, right, is yeah. one of the most powerful things you can do in your life. Yeah, Max, and I think what's really interesting is sometimes it does come, what, one of my friends is a leadership trainer, he says our greatest pain is our greatest leadership. <laughs> and I do think that sometimes that voice knocks because you have been through some shit. Yes that you don't want other people to have to go through and it was hard to, for you to find your ways out or you found some ways out and it just was too important not to share. See, that'll keep you going more than money will, more than, you know, even people patting you on the back. It's that desire, that burning desire will keep you going through so much. Um, and I think is, is, is not the thing that you can, you can't just hand that to somebody. That's the part you have to find for yourself. Yeah, you know, it's like, like you say, like you can't stop yourself, right? You can't stop yourself from doing it because I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else on this planet because it would just, it's just too important because I've, I've had so much pain in my life through this so that like I have to share it now with people. I have to pay it forward. I have to help other people so they don't have to go through the same pain or so they can, you know, not even through the pain necessarily, but they can experience the same pleasure and happiness and fulfillment and joy on the, on the other hand. Right. And so, it's, yes, it's like at this point, like I can't stop myself from doing this. Like even <laughs> if you gave me a million bucks to retire on some <laughs> island, I, I couldn't. <laughs> I know, you know, I was, I was looking at uh, somebody sent me a job thing on LinkedIn and, and I, you know, and I had this moment, I was like, what would they have to pay me to get me to stop doing what I'm doing? Like, do I have a number? I was What's that number? <laughs> do I have a number? And I sort of came to realize that my number was really, really high and that I would only do it for a short period of time. That I had no number that would have me like do another job for 10 years, but like I might do it for six months if the number was high. <laughs> like I could put this on hold, but you can't buy this out of me because it's not where it comes from. And here's a, the other interesting thing about that um, is that my friends sort of who travel more in the, in the, what we might call the prosperity world or manifestation or kind of this idea of, you know, if you think it, you can be it, all of that. One of the things that they have said to me is that money has the energy of love. It's got a very light energy. And so when you are in love with what you are doing, you are an energetic match for money. Wow. When you are in fear about what you're doing or trying to do it because it's coming from external, something the, you know, the should or the, or the manipulating how you move things to try to, you know, get something that has a fear vibration and that will actually keep money away. Yeah. And it, 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 you could pick it up. It goes back to this emotional thing, right? You can't logically necessarily tell it when you meet somebody else, but you can feel it, right? You can feel when they're true to themselves. You can feel when they're living in their purpose. You can feel when they're truly full of joy and energy and happiness. And in that state of being, they can just manifest so much more in their lives because it's easier to take action, right? It's easier to connect with people. It's easier to do the things that are necessary. 
And it's got this magnetic thing. And I think about even in marketing, you know, and I get marketed to a lot, like on LinkedIn and stuff like that. And a lot of marketing is, is um, to me, is unappealing because it feels like that person is sort of been, maybe they've been told what the right message is that's going to get people to come along, but it doesn't, you know, what's appealing to me is when somebody is less slick, but just speaks from their heart yeah. and just says, here's this thing. I think it's really cool. I'd love to share it with you. Um, and it doesn't feel like I'm a number to mm. them. I think this is really hard. I mean, a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we have to figure out how do we market what we're doing? Um, how do we let people know this is available? We need to buy groceries and things like that. But I don't like it when I feel like, it's almost like I can even feel in the marketing copy that they're afraid. Yeah. And that's not attractive. When they are just bubbling over with, they've just, this is the coolest shit and they've just got to share it. That's much more likely for me to buy. <laughs> yeah. And, and it goes back to this idea of like being good enough, right? Because yeah. when you realize you're enough and you practice this enough and it actually delivers value, you want to sell it, right? You want to get it out in like as many hands as possible because you right. know it's going to change people's lives. Right. Right. And, and, you know, you also know there needs to be an energetic balance. And so somehow we need to be in balance. And if we just give everything away, then we burn out. And that's not even, you know, part of the concern there is if we are not being fed energetically, it's not even just that we burn out in terms of we don't have enough money. What ends up happening is we start losing some of our, you know, in qualities that make us so wonderful, like compassion. You know, if you don't get if you don't get filled up back up again, you get compassion fatigue and you stop caring as much. And so it is this really interesting paradox of you can't do it because of the money, but you do need to be supported. <laughs> um, and, and I think that that gives us this very interesting dynamic balance that there's not one answer to, but that I think about for entrepreneurs, you have to keep looking at what is my authentic offer? What is my authentic excitement? How do I convey that? And just keep working it probably your whole lives. Yes, for sure. You know, this is so powerful. Now we talked a lot about a lot of, you know, ways to integrate our lives. Are there any more, you know, ways in which we, we need to learn to integrate other than, you know, right hemisphere, left hemisphere yeah. and all that? Is there anything yeah, else? It's, it's like, it's, it's pretty cool. I think the other one, the big one, I think there's lots of others, but one of the big ones is, I think about it like this, you know, sort of the bottom up, top down. And in neuroscience, um, there's a, there, for some people, usually not people on the real authentic self-development path, but for some people, there can be this feeling like this is the most important part of the brain. It should be in charge this part of the brain that's somewhat lower down in here back behind my face is more emotional and it's irrational and it's kind of out of control and you need to get that part of your brain under control so you can be logical and go forth like that um probably pretty clear i don't believe that yeah <laughs> so, but I boring that's called boring <laughs> god and it's also um it's not actually the most effective. So what you want is you want this integration. So what you want is the, the information that may be being taken in by parts of your brain that, have a, that play a larger role in looking at what are threats, what should I be afraid of, 
even what do I love, you know, all of sort of the emotional flooding, they're more connected to the um, hormones that have us have more body sensations that we associate with our emotions. These parts of the brain have really important information, critical information. And in fact, they've probably already made the decision about things. <laughs> this part of the brain can process it and can um, work with that information and can discern, okay, you know, this is action. And that's where a lot of times we have to do journaling and coaching and things like that to try to figure out, okay, is the reason that I'm experiencing this anxiety right now because there's really a threat? Is it an old habit and pattern? And you need this part of the brain for that. You need to be in a, you need to be listening and then be working with it. And so sometimes you need to calm that down because maybe, you know, like when the, when the um, quarantine first hit, I had kind of a bottom up response, my body, my, you know, fear center areas more associated with fear. Like, Oh my God, like I had to cancel some big deal stuff. I had a, dip in income and I went into like, oh man, this is not good. And so I actually had to kind of see what this part of my brain had to say to the rest. And one of the things it had to say is you got through an economic downturn before, so go back to the past, you can do it again. And you're not the same person that you were 10 years ago when it was so hard, you have a different reputation, you're much more better known, you have a lot more options right now. And that was more coming from this part of the brain and it helped calm that down. There's other times where this part of the brain was trying to tell me I was in a bad situation. I was in a relationship that was not good. And this part of the brain kept going, hey, this doesn't feel good. That thing that he just said, that didn't feel good. You know, and, and my brain, my top down brain was going, no, 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 I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> it was over calming it down. And it wasn't until I actually said, hold on a minute, tell me how, how do I feel? What, and let that information bubble up that something was off and not right, that I could actually get myself out of um, an, what was not a, was not ultimately a safe situation. So we've got to, we've got to work. I think the more that we practice, the better at discernment we get between what's real, what's an old trigger, you know, what we can do about it, all of those things. It takes some practice, but you don't want to just shut down your emotions. Um, and you also don't want them to always be running the show because, you know, like if then you can't do anything. So. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really about this, this balance, right? Between the two extremes, not getting too emotional at the same time, not being too logical either, right? There's, there's so much great research on, on this, right? There's shows like, when, like with people, for example, that I remember reading a couple of months back when like they, they lose certain centers of the emotional brain, right? So they're only thinking in a logical brain, basically. They can't make decisions anymore, right? Because they can't decide, should I eat chicken or like that, that beef tonight? Because it's like, like those simple decisions because there's no way to make decisions if you don't have certain emotions. Yeah, and this goes back to that, you know, and I would say to my, my business partner, and we, she literally does say this to me, she's brilliant, you know, we'll be like, we'll be traveling, and where should we go out to dinner tonight? And she'll literally say, well, basically, how do you want to feel about it? <laughs> you know, and that's how I make the decision, you know, like I want something quiet, I want to just go in my sweatpants, like that. Um, it all comes back to this emotion, but you're right, we're driven by emotion. The other interesting research, this is really old, but remember they did research years ago, it might've even been in the 70s, about 
it was with women who ended up getting assaulted by a stranger, like they were out in public walking and ended up getting assaulted. And they asked them like what was going on like right before the assault, not what were you wearing, but what was going on. And the majority of them said they had a bad feeling. Wow. Like they were like, you know, I was gonna go down that and something told me I shouldn't go down that road and then I did it anyway. And there's an overwhelming sense. And if you just talk to people, you know, about like something that happened that they regret, how many times did they have a funny feeling about it? And then their logical brain was like, no, 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 it's totally oh, fine. <laughs> I'm sure those people don't mean you any harm. When really there was something we were processing to keep us safe that we should have listened to. Yeah, I think sure. we override all the time. Yeah, so I think listening to it, that internal voice of intuition, right, that says, no, don't do that, or maybe do that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes... and all of this, Max, is such a paradox, because yes. if I only listen to that, I become paralyzed, anxious, I don't do anything, I don't take any risks, but if I always listen to this, I maybe take risks I shouldn't you know, and end up in bad situations or even having harm or make stupid business decisions like that. So it's this real, um, I, think in, I think integration in all of these areas are a lifetime journey yes. of sort of assessing and looking. And this is why two things. One is having some process of self-development that you use. I don't care what it is, whether it's a process of journaling, whether it's a process of reflecting while you're in nature, whether you have a coach, a therapist, anybody who can help you start looking at what, when do you listen to your emotions and when do you calm them down? When do you go to the past that's useful and when do you go to the past that's damaging? You know, all of these things, when are you too much in your right hemisphere? When are you too much in your left? All of those things, working with someone else or some sort of process, I think is really a critical part of our world. And then the other one is be around people who are doing the same because we model ourselves on each yeah. other. And if I'm with a friend who's going like, oh man, you know, I'm, I like am totally letting my emotions take me over right now and this is not helpful and they're showing you how they're managing it, our brains are going, oh, well, maybe I can do that too. Um, plus they can also then ask you the right questions and be supportive of you. So your friend group, and your support is critical for all of this, I think. Yeah, and, having <laughs> and having a cat. And having a cat. For sure. Yeah, so people that always love you, right? And it's, it really is so powerful. I think it's one of the most, the best things you could ever do, right? Is find people around you that actually, that want you to level up. They require you to level up almost to yeah. stay in that group, right? Well, like yeah. there is a certain force and push to, to become better, to grow, to evolve constantly, because otherwise you feel like you're left out of the group. Yeah. And when we think about leveling up, you know, and I think about to me what that looks like, and I you know, know it does for you as well, Max, is it looks like leveling up in terms of being even more honest, being yes. even more authentic, being even more vulnerable, being even more true to yourself, being even more rigorous about not doing that job just because you know, not, you know, like not just working for money, but working for joy. They're modeling that, not just leveling up in terms of, um, and I know you didn't mean this, but like in terms of, you know, now they're at the next level of income or anything like that, but they're leveling up as decent human beings contributing to the planet. That's who I think we want to, we want to be around. They show us how that's possible. 
Yes, and that's so important because it's so easy to focus on the external only, right? It's so easy to focus only on the fitness and the money and all that, but it's actually the internal values, right? You say like authenticity and honesty. How many people say the goal for honesty, for authenticity? Not no one, right? <laughs> but I think that's that's what we should be oftentimes doing, right? Is we realize like this this is actually low in our lives. Maybe I gotta train that a little bit, right? Maybe I gotta start telling the truth. Maybe I gotta start actually telling people who I really am, rather right. than this this made-up version that's just supposed to look good in front of others. Right. And I think about, you know, I, I have a, a couple of friends who, who do this where, you know, they might like uh, my business partner does this. Um, I usually do this. A couple of other friends who like have their word of the year. Like this uh -huh. is my word this year. My word one year was honesty. It still is, but that was the year. And you know what? It's really hard. And I said to myself, like, no more white lies. <laughs> I, failed. I failed but i got better at it but i failed i failed it was really it was just hard it was yeah. way harder than i thought to really have that front and center like i want to feel like i'm a, even more what does that even mean where am i noticing oh i didn't tell a lie but i acted in a fake way right wow. so even to go that much in detail oh shit oh like, yeah that's hard <laughs> To like that'll rattle rock your life, right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, my, my my word for this year is joy. Yeah, I had a tough year last year. Joy. I got to tell you, you know, the first couple of months of the year, it was going really well, and, <laughs> <laughs> and now you suck at home. <laughs> but I think that you know, it's like be careful what you wish for, because oftentimes what will happen is you will start seeing more contrast. So if you wish for honesty, I will promise you, you will start seeing more the areas where you're not being honest. Yes. If you ask for joy, you're going to start seeing more pain because that's how we work with it. Um, and I think it's a positive, I think it's a positive thing, but it's always for like, sure. just be really careful. I asked for humility one year. That just <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I really saw my ego that year. I have not oh. mounted that either. I bet, right? But it is, it is when we set that intention, right? That's when we start to pay attention. And when we start to pay attention, we realize all the ways in which we're inadequate, right? All the ways in which we're not good enough, in which we're not measuring up yet. And so it is powerful and important to improve, but at the same time, it can really damage your ego. Yeah, and I think there is this, um, one, of, one of the things that I think is really important in consciousness, and one of the things that develops at higher levels of consciousness. And I think this is one of the things that meditation helps with, but lots of other personal development does as well. And I think it is developing what we call the observer mind. And that, I think that was a critical part of me being able to be more joyful and find more humor in the world is that, because it's the difference between, I saw this, um, I saw this beautiful illustration that somebody posted where they were talking about emotional healing and they were saying sort of part one, you're in the water, like drowning in your emotions, right? And then part two, you're like in a kayak or a canoe on top of the water. So they don't go away. But, you know, so it's like if I do something silly and somebody criticizes me, I will still have that feeling of shame. I promise you that's a, you know, goes way back to childhood. I'm going to have it. Can I observe it? Does it put me, does it start to make me feel like I'm drowning again? Or can, have I developed some strength? And this is actually strength of this part of the brain, not as the only thing that's important, but can I actually go, wow, that's really 
that is interesting. That whole shame thing just came up again. I just had this with a, I was teaching a class. I was working really hard. Um, I had this long Zoom conversation. It was just a tough thing. And one of my students midway through was like, hey, do you have a minute for some feedback? <laughs> and I was oh like, gosh. yeah, the look on your face, I was like, oh God, I don't no. really think you do. And what was interesting is that I can't, you know, that whole kind of shame thing came up about, oh, I must, uh, what did, I mean, I was like scanning, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? We ended up talking a couple weeks later and she didn't even have the feedback anymore. I don't even know what it was. <laughs> But I'd already gone to this place, but I kept working to say, let me observe this. Let me notice this. I'm feeling it and I'm watching it. So I'm kind of in these both, both places at once. And the more we can do that, because life is going to keep throwing stuff at you that's going to maybe bring that anxiety up or anything. Can you watch it? Can you be curious about it? Can you have compassion for, you know, the stupid thing you said or the embarrassing thing you did can you have compassion for yourself because that moves it through more quickly yeah for sure it's so important right just learning to forgive ourselves right because the reality is we're all gonna fuck up right at some point like no matter how much you try how motivated you are you know you're gonna mess up in life and that's okay but like how quickly we are able to get back up and get back in the game right it's really the critical aspect and that depends yeah. on forgiving ourselves and just yes. being self-compassionate. So I love that. Yeah, I want to say one other thing about that. If you think about um, people who have really difficult personalities, really toxic, you know, stuff, and we might even, you know, say like the sociopaths, psychopaths, narcissists, like that. One of the things that's critically missing is is empathy for self. And because they can't have empathy for themselves, they can have empathy for no one else. They are go hand in hand. So the degree to which you can laugh at yourself, you can have empathy for yourself, you have more, it, it expands out in terms of what you can bring to other people. And it's a critical, critical thing that's needed in our world. And it's what the, talk about the emerging research. There's a whole emerging research field on compassion. You probably know this because you're in positive psychology, but that it is more like um, doctors that have more compassion actually and hospitals where the where most of the doctors have more compassion they're more profitable it's wow. this it's like it's the key to everything <laughs> yeah everything patient outcomes patient wellness it all comes back to compassion will will get you so far and here's the thing if you cannot have compassion for yourself forget having compassion for other people so it starts here yeah it's and it, it goes back to this idea like we have to take care of ourselves before we can go out and and change the world, right? Before we can create that influence and make those changes, we have to change ourselves. We have to become better ourselves first so then we can actually create change. Yeah, and that's how you avoid this, the burnout where you start. I mean, I think for, I said, if you can't have compassion for yourself, you can't have compassion for others. You can for a while, but what will happen is that without taking care of ourselves, we run out of energy for other people. And then they start feeling like objects yeah. rather than humans 
And it was, I was watching um, just one last thing, and I probably have to go soon, but I was watching this show, Madam Secretary, and she's dealing with, on the show, she's Secretary of State for the U.S., and she's dealing with the guy from China, and they, they have this moment where they each share, like they lost, they both lost their parents quite young, and she looks at him, and she's like, oh, no, now I'm going to have to start seeing you as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> just China. So yeah, I think well. It's the key to everything. <laughs> yeah, this is so interesting. Let's shift gears here a little bit. Um, yeah. What are the biggest misconceptions that you see people have about neuroscience and transformation? Oh, that's such a good question. What are the biggest misconceptions? I think that the, the biggest challenge, maybe help me with this if this is where the misconception comes in. I think the biggest challenge around neuroscience is people engage with it theoretically. So, so it's, uh, I'll give you a really pr practical example. Like if I go out to a group of people, you know, reasonably well-educated and I say, who has heard of neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change itself? A huge percentage of people will be like, yeah, you know, the brain can change and all of that. But what I find if I start talking about them is very few of them have ever thought about how that applies to them. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so true. <laughs> and, and so I'll say things like, you know, uh, you know, we'll start looking at habits that you're doing, you know, maybe a bad habit that they want to change. And if I have them break it down and say, like, what are the what's the energy you're putting toward that habit? Um, you know, they might say, you know, like, I want to stop snacking late at night. And I just and and yet they're still doing it. I'm like, that's neuroplasticity. Every time you eat that snack at 10 o'clock at night, you build a stronger wire to towards eating that snack. They look at me like, <laughs> you just told me that it's the brain changing through habitual actions. This is, you know, that they don't get that connection. Yeah. So I think it's the that neuroscience, maybe because it's science, it feels like this thing that's over here, rather than this, this thing that's happening all the time. Yes. All the time. To you. <laughs> you, can't, you can't escape it. <laughs> no. You can't so, escape you. <laughs> and I think this is one of the problems with often the way that it's taught. So when I went to graduate school in neuroscience, I went to the Neuroleadership Institute, and it was just... It, 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 they didn't quite know at that time, I don't know if they've gotten any better, but they didn't really know how to link it to anything. So it's this interesting stuff. And then what difference does it actually make? And so when people say to me, or they introduce me, which luckily you didn't, like, you know, Ann Batson, she's a neuroscience, like I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm a neuroscience translator. I'm really good at linking it. I'm really good at taking the language of science and linking it to the language of human development so that it matters. Because yeah. I think for a lot of people, it, the two don't come together. Um, and what's the point if they don't? Yeah, that's the thing, right? At the end of the day, all of this stuff is, is really just meant to have people live a better life, right? It's not yeah. just to to have some more knowledge is to actually change the world with that knowledge, change your brain, change your life. And so if you're listening to this and you're not applying any of the stuff that we talk about, you literally just wasted an hour of your life. So <laughs> way to plug my podcast right here. But <laughs> that's, that's really good. And I think that, you know, programs like you're talking about studying positive psychology, I think that's part of what makes it so unique and interesting is it's all about application. Yes. And it, it's all about this matters for people, 
you know, and I remember uh, I was a philosophy major and I, even then, by the time I went to college, I'd already done some pretty intense personal growth. I got into that field pretty early on, um, personally, not teaching it. And so when I went into philosophy, I remember asking my advisor and my teacher, like, so like, okay, so what? And they're just like, you know, like, like what do you mean? Why? And I'm like, I want to use, I said, I want to use philosophy in a way that matters to people. And they were like, why? Now this was also <laughs> years ago, literally 30 years ago, but I think there's more of a push now to say what is applied philosophy. But at the time it was like, those were two different things. We just want to figure out what truth is. And I thought, well, what difference does it make if you figure out what it is, if, if, you, if people don't, can't become better? Yeah. You know, I love this point. And like, the reason I have like a hate, love, hate relationship with philosophy is exactly that, right? Like there's certain aspects that are just not interesting because it's about figuring out the truth, whatever, but it has zero application to life. But then there's these beautiful parts, stoicism, for example, which I'm a huge fan of, right? Are you a Where, stoic? Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just talking but to my family. I was what it is, right? Like accepting yes. what yeah. Yes, accepting what is. I was, I was talking to my sister actually just today at, at, at dinner. Um, I was last year in the summer. I was living in Munich, um, started my own, own business, right? Right, basically just running workshops. And I, I didn't have the money to actually have like a home. So I was just sleeping my open office, right? And right. on a yoga mat, right? And it's like for two months, I was, I was just there sleeping on a yoga mat. I couldn't you know, actually go to sleep before midnight because people weren't supposed to know that I was sleeping there, right? So I was like, I was hiding until the guy would leave, right? And then at midnight, I'd crawl in my bed, wake up 5 a.m. and do the whole thing again, right? But that to me was like one of the harder things. And it was about accepting like where I am, right? It was about deliberately seeking this discomfort on sleeping on a yoga mat, which was basically just the ground because that's what it felt like. Right. But yeah, <laughs> which I can't recommend it for your back pain, but, but it, was a, it was a great lesson. And so, I, yeah, I'm a huge stoic fan. And I think, yeah, for our listeners to this, like finding the things that actually work, finding the things that are actually practical, that you can start applying in your life is so important, right? Because not enough to just listen to this, right? It's like, I'm having right. a great time here. I'm enjoying this. Like I could do this all day. But at the same time, it's not enough to actually change your life. You have to start applying the things that you learn. Right. And I think this is, I mean, a couple of things about that. One is that when you take something like philosophy um, or even neuroscience and you take it into application, you may lose some of the fine tuning of what it is at its purest form. Um, it doesn't mean that you make it inaccurate, but you know, to me, I'm always trying to dance between this rigor and accessibility. And how do I, you know, how do I help coaches learn about coaching using the right and left hemisphere that's still rigorous, but also translates to, to people? That's sort of an interesting, it's an interesting challenge. Um, I think the other piece about that is that it's one of my, um, it's again, it's integration. And so I think about mindfulness to me is like going to the gym. It's building some structures in your brain that help you focus. I think it's a really good thing, just like going to the gym is a really good thing. But then the question is, what are you gonna use it for? If you go to the gym every day and you build up your muscles so that you're a better mafia hitman, <laughs> um, you can build up your internal mental strength so that you're a better bond trader. 
you know, maybe that's okay. I'm not saying that that's not the same as being a mafia hitman. <laughs> maybe you're a better mafia hitman, but you meditate. Yeah. Um, I think what's the integration is what are you doing with it in life? In, in terms of all of these things, so wonderful. So how do you then take the presence in that moment that you achieved in, my, in meditation and bring that into your parenting and bring that into your you know, work with someone or bring it into your own self-compassion? All of these things, they need, to be, they need to be out there. The things we learn need to, we need to mess with them in life and that's where it gets messy and we make mistakes and we learn. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> now, and I, I'm super curious because as a coach, you know, huge part of that is asking those challenging questions. So what is the most challenging, the most difficult question you've ever asked, you know, either yourself or someone else? Um, it's, it's, it's funny. It's the, the hardest question is what do you want? <laughs> it's the simplest question. And when I started out, it's interesting because that one, I knew the answer, you know, like, it's like, oh my God, that's going to be a tough question. And then you, <laughs> as you're saying the question, I thought, no, I know what that is. When I first started out as a coach, I thought it's going to be really hard to help people get what they want. That's going to be hard. You know, it's just, it's not always easy to get what you want. And it, I was like six months in and I thought that is not the hard part at all. The hard part is nobody knows what they want because that is a lifetime of unpacking and it changes and it unfolds and this has a lot more to do with being than getting, Yes. you know, what do I, I think of it as it, it's a very awkward way of saying, but ultimately who do I want to experience myself as being yes. is sort of the biggest, what do I want? Because as we talked about before, anything that I have is, be, is because I feel like it's going to give me some experience. But so that's ultimately the question is, who do you want to experience yourself as? If I have a million followers, it's because I think it's going to make me feel popular. So what do you really want? You just want to feel popular. And having a million followers may not actually even ever do that for you. That may be a, I wanted at one point in my life, I wanted, because I was working in the NGO world in nonprofits, I wanted to be the executive director of a nonprofit organization. That is what I wanted so badly. If you said, what do you want? That's what I want. So I became one. It was hell. <laughs> I hated it. So even my association that that's going to give me what I want didn't give me what I wanted. Because what did I really want? I wanted, a, I wanted to experiment with human development. I wanted to explore what it's, how it's possible to be human. That's what I really wanted. Yeah. And that has lots of different forms. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like life becomes your playground, right? And you yes. get to figure out <laughs> every single day how to play that game better. I love that. Yeah. Now, one, one thing I ask every single one of my guests is their favorite failure. A failure that has in some shape or form actually transformed you into a better version of yourself. So what's your favorite failure? It's a good one. Um, uh, Oh, I got a couple of them. One of them was this, this, this failure that we had. We were doing this training as in the nonprofit world and I segued to doing more training and we were doing training with young adults who were having a service year. Um, it's a program called AmeriCorps and they were like working in schools and things like that. And we were doing all this training about life purpose and values and all of this stuff. And we had this group 
the short story is uh, their, their leader asked them for feedback on how the training was going. because it was like four sessions over the year. And instead they sent him all their feedback and he didn't filter it. He didn't like put together themes or anything. He just forwarded it right on and they didn't know he was going to do that. So they were really mean. <laughs> and they would not have been that mean to us if they would have said, you know, what feed, you know, send Anne and Ursula this feedback. They sent it to him and he just sent it on. And, and it was really hard. Wow. It was really, really tough. It was like that they felt disrespected. They felt like what we were doing was stupid. It didn't apply to their work. I mean, it was like this huge failure. Talk about bottom up. Oh my God, I can feel it today. And luckily we had a few weeks and we went through this whole kind of, how are we going to deal with it? And, you know, and the first response was, well, we're going to tell them, <laughs> young punks, you know, we weren't getting paid very much. And, you know, we were like driving all over the, you know, all over the place, leaving our house at 6am to go train them. So, and somehow I, I think it was divine intervention because we're trying to figure out what to do. And when we got there, I felt like somebody else spoke to me. I don't know where it came from. And I said to Ursula, we're not going to do anything. We're going to tell them. I, this did not come from my me because my ego is way too big. <laughs> I don't, I was in the hands of somebody else. And we said, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to tell them that we got their feedback and that we heard it and that they're right. Wow. All we're going to do. And so they came in these nice young people came in the room and we said, we got your feedback, you know, Fred forwarded it on and, you know, and we listen, we really get it. And you're absolutely right. We have not asked you what you wanted. We have not checked to see that this was relevant for what you're doing. And you're totally, you're 100% right. And they were, first of all, like super embarrassed that it had happened that way. And then, and we just like waited. And then they were like, they started saying things like, well, you know what? I haven't really been a very good participant. I haven't really taken advantage of what you had to say. I haven't really been present here. And it was amazing. They took like they took responsibility for their part. We never told them they had to. They just did. And we said, okay, so now here we are today. So we can leave. <laughs> That's option number one. Option number two is here's what we've got planned for today. Option number three is we can do something else. What do you want? What do you want? And we and they were like, actually, that thing that you had planned, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So I, I think that was this moment of let, like, I think what I learned from that failure, if I really had to look at what I learned, I got to tell you, I was never the same as a trainer after that yeah. because I had done the worst thing. It was the worst, hardest thing, which was to say, I got this really brutal feedback and I'm just going to tell you, tell you, and I'm going to stand there with you and tell you you're right. Wow. And I, you know, I think it took away the fear of, I, I think, think from that moment on as a trainer, not that moment, but I think I started growing into this ability to just be like, yeah, what do you need? Here's what I've got planned. What do you need? Um, how, you know, what do you, being like, I, I didn't need to be the expert anymore. I didn't have anything to protect. Wow. So I'm really grateful. We call them the bad little good group. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's such a beautiful story. And I think it really shows this, this importance of being vulnerable and accepting even that, that maybe right now, today, you're not as good as you want to be. 
right? On that day, you weren't the person that you had to be in order to achieve the dreams that you wanted, right? But it yeah. didn't stop you, right? You just had to accept and face reality and then move forward with that knowledge of not being, not being good enough yet, right? And I think yeah. this and willingness I to say, okay, today I'm not good enough yet, but tomorrow I can be by addressing those flaws, by not just hiding from them, right? Not running away, but actually saying like, hey, this is the truth, this is where I am. How do I get better now? Yeah, and I think I love that um, because that was, whew, that was so hard. It must have been painful. And, and, and basically, and also learning that the reason that I failed is I was trying to be good enough. <laughs> yeah. We were trying to do it right and have it all figured out and come in in our little da-da-da, you know, and know what they needed and, you know, have everything prepared in the right way and be the experts that we were supposed to be. Da, da, da. And what I learned was I got a lot further when I let go of that. We just let go of it. Like, it's not even that I didn't anticipate enough what they wanted. It's that was my problem. Yes. Is, and when we got authentic with them, it, from that moment on, we could do anything. We could do anything we wanted with them by just going, okay, well, what do you guys want? Hey, here's what we're thinking of doing. Will that fit? What are your concerns right now? And it just took the, and I see so many trainers kind of come out and try to impress and try to, you know, prove that you have a right to be there and you're this, you are smart enough to be there rather than trusting that you, that you've got something, hopefully, hopefully you've got something that's worthwhile sharing, mm -hmm. you know, start there. Um, and then just be with your audience as a human being. Yes. Cause that's all those kids wanted young people. They weren't kids. They were in their early twenties. So all they wanted was they ultimately it came down to we were we were being personas we weren't being humans so once we got human we could do anything absolutely that was, love that yeah now and we talked about so many great strategies oh, ideas today insights <laughs> if you if you had to give our listeners just one piece of you know homework to take away from this and start applying in their lives one action step one habit what would be that one top thing you know, here's where my brain is coming back to. It's this, write this down. We evolve at the rate of the tribe we're plugged into. And look at your tribe. And I'm not talking about being mean to anybody, but what I am saying is take a look and see what's the tribe you're plugged into and do they see and celebrate your best self? Um, and if not, find those people who do who, you know, can celebrate with you, who can see what's possible for you, who can, you know, be wind underneath your wings and you will be the same for them. If you do one thing, find your tribe. Um, because man, I got to tell you, you can, it, life is too short to do things out of duty or expectations or because you were friends in high school or whatever it is, your real tribe, you will go places with. So yes. I think that's so powerful. Now, where can people connect with you online? Um, my website is beaboveleadership.com, um, all one word. And I am Anne at beaboveleadership.com. And I'm also just love to connect. I put a lot of resources out on LinkedIn. So I'm just Anne Betts. And we also have a YouTube channel under Be Above Leadership where we've been doing a lot of like, how do you survive these times and how do you work with stress and things based on neuroscience that, that, we, that might, we 
Ursula and I've been talking about. So those are all places. The only other thing I would say is if you are a coach and you want to learn how to use the brain in coaching, that is the main thing that we do is we do teach that. So just send me a quick email and I'll hook you up. Fantastic. Now, what does it mean for you to max out your life? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is this, um, so George Bernard Shaw said, I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. I want to feel like um, I have given everything I've got but that I've done it in a way that I didn't flame out, that I've done it in this like sustainable way. But I just, that to me is maxing out my life. I wanna be, I wanna be used up when I die. You know, I feel like you've done this on the show today. I really appreciate it, Anne. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. It's just been a delight talking with you. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.